Hallelujah. Well, 1 Samuel chapter number 10, we're going to be beginning in verse number 17, and this is a big transition in the, in the chronological history of Israel. Not only chronologically is it a big change, but it is spiritually a big change. Sometimes we go through seasons in life. You know, we know uh, from Scripture that there's a, a, a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's different seasons of our lives. There's time to build and a time to tear down. There's t- different times for different things. And here in, in Israel's life was one of the biggest, not only chronological, but spiritual transitions that took place. And I don't know about you, I remember the day that I got saved. That was a huge transition in my life. Old things passed away and all things became new, and I felt the chain break off my heart. I remember to this day sitting next to my best friend, and I said, did you feel that? And he said, feel what? Did you feel those chains break off? (laughs) He thought, what are you talking about? But I was set free, and I really, truly felt that spiritual transition in my life. And, you know, we have those times in our lives where God truly moves in powerful ways. And then there's other times where we go through and we really mess up and we really go the wrong direction. And, and here Israel is coming up and in, in, they've gotten into the promised land. They've gotten into the place where they wanted to be. How many of you know sometimes you get where you want to be, but you find yourself, your heart straying just a little bit? Amen? You get... They call it buyer's remorse. Sometimes you get that new car, and then that that night it's good, but then the next morning you think, oh, man, I'm going to have to work double now. (laughs) Buyer's remorse. You get what you really wanted, but you didn't realize the price associated with it. And, you know, the thing about Christianity is God gives it freely to those that come and drink of the water, but there's a cost. The cost is your life. You have to lay down who you are that God can have you and he will make you beautiful. He will cause you to have new life, but you have to surrender yours. And every day that you get up as a Christian, you have that opportunity to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit and God lets you choose. He gives us free will for a reason. We are not mindless robots. We are free will vessels that God gives that ability to. And he asks you to choose him. He said, he sets before you life and death, blessing and curse, choose life. God wants you to choose the way of the Spirit. He wants you to choose the path that he has set before you, but he always gives us the options. He always lets us choose the direction we want to go. Amen? And sometimes I wish that he would make us robots. I wish that we didn't have to choose because sometimes we don't choose wisely. Sometimes we, we skip that step of asking God for direction and we skip that step of asking uh, for wisdom for our decisions in our life and we just do what we believe is the right thing to do in the moment without actually seeking his face. And that is the exact thing that Israel did right here. In this moment here that we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse number 17, Samuel is the prophet of God, and he is the one that that is supposed to be leading the nation. He is the good shepherd under the high shepherd, if you will. He says in verse number 17, Samuel called the people together unto the Lord, to Mizpah. And he said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. And delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all kingdoms, and of them that oppressed you. 
You see, you didn't save yourself. God did. You didn't set yourself free. God did it. There's, there's, no, there's no drugs. There's no psychology program. There's, no exor- there's nothing that you can do to set yourself free from the things of the Spirit, the things that have oppressed us. God and God alone is the deliverer. And he said, he's reminding Israel, I am the one that set you free. I am the one that opened the door. I am the one that let you go. And some of us, some of us need to remember those days. He says in verse number 19, he's continuing, he said that he delivered them out of the hand of all the kingdoms, that out, out of them that oppressed you. And you have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said unto him, nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Now, what God is saying here is, is, is he's speaking through Samuel, but he's telling the nation of Israel, I am the one that bought you, I brought you out of Egypt, I set you free from all those that were against you, I'm the one that put you where you are. And yet, what Israel did is they looked around everybody else and they said, well, everybody else has a this and everybody else has a that. Everybody else does it this way and everybody else does it that way. And I want to be like everybody else. It doesn't hurt anything for us to have a king like everybody else, but it hurt God's heart. God was the king of Israel. God was the one that directed the boat. God was the one that that they were supposed to come to for their decisions. God was the one that they were supposed to come to for their soul. And yet, they wanted to be like everyone else. In other words, they just had a little bit of compromise so that they could look like everybody else, so that they could be a kingdom like every other kingdom. Can I tell you something? You're not like everybody. Everybody else is going to run in, 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 to politicians. Everybody else is going to run to, to the wisdom of the world. Everybody else is going to run to the thing that they once were in. Like, listen to this. Israel had been called out of Egypt, called out of the world system. And yet, when they were in the promised land, they wanted to be back like the world was. God took them out, but they wanted to still look like what God took them out of. And I want you to know this. You've been set apart. You've been called out from among them. God has called you to be a separate people. God has called you to not look like others, to not talk like others, to not walk like others, to not live like others. God has called you to a higher standard of living because you belong to Him. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to the world. And you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ. He's the one that sought you. He's the one that bought you. He's the one that shed His blood for your soul. You don't belong to anyone else except Jesus Christ. You are His bondservant. You don't belong to a man. You don't belong to a political group. You don't belong to anything else except for Him. And Israel missed that. Israel missed that. They wanted to begin to reflect the world around them. And, and what all that, what that shows you is that they began to backslide in their heart. They began to look in their heart and to long to be like the world around them. And, and ever so slightly, that backsliding in the heart began to manifest in the physical. You see, you don't backslide overnight. 
You, you, you don't backslide overnight. You don't just wake up one day and say, I've had it with Christianity. I've had it with church. I've had it with pastor. I've had it with this. I'm tired of it. You don't do that. It, the backsliding begins in the heart. And ever so slightly, they begin to backslide a little bit more and a little bit more. And they compromise a little bit here. And they don't trust God a little bit there. And the reality is this. When it comes down to it, who controls your life? Who is the master of your domain? Who is the one? Who is the one that has the final say so over your life? And Israel here, and, and they just got tired of God telling them what to do. They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to have a king that they could go and they could, you know, barter with. And they, they could, you know, you can go to a king and you can appeal a king's decision. You can't appeal God's. If God said you can't have that, you can't have that. And it'll always be that way. But a king, you can go and you can begin to petition them and you can begin to twist their arm and beg and plead and you might be able to to change some laws and change the course of things, but they wanted to be like everyone else around them. You know the saddest thing as the church of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to reflect the world, we're supposed to reflect God. It's supposed to be His light shining through us. We're not supposed to live like the world lives. We're supposed to be as God has called us to be. Well, the problem here is they had begun to, they had begun to fall in this, this area. They started fighting. They wanted to fight their battles the same way the world did. You see, God tells us in the New Testament that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds and principalities in spiritual dark places. God has called us to fight spiritual battles because it, it is a spiritual battle in which we are in. But the problem is whenever we begin to look to the natural, we begin to look for natural answers. You see, it's, it's, it's not the people, it's not the people or the places or the things, it is the spirit behind the people, places, and things that is at war with you. There, we do have an enemy, and that is the devil. And he is at war with you. His desire is not to play with you like a cat does, you know, their, their toy. Just play with you and be done with you. That's not the devil's desire for you. The devil's desire for you is to kill you. His desire for you is to take the fire of God out of your life. To take the love for God out of your soul. His desire for you is to ever so slightly take you away from the God who bought you and purchased you. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to slip like Israel did. I want, the reason I started here is I want you to see, they didn't walk in the promised land and say, oh great, we made it to the promised land. Now, let's have a king like every other nation does. They, it didn't just happen like that. It was because they got into the promised land and then they began to rest on their laurels. The fire began to die down. The seeking God's face began to die down. The prayers began to die down. The, the sacrifices began to get complacent. They just began to get ordinary. They began, there was nothing sacrificial about it anymore. There was nothing special about it anymore. It was just, well, I, if I get time, I'll make it. If I don't, I won't. Uh, I'll, I'll fit it in my schedule if I can, but I can't promise anything. It was just kind of like that. And ever so slightly, they just, their heart began to drift away from God. And before you know it, they began to look at the other nations around them and they wanted to be like the other people around them it didn't happen overnight it didn't happen overnight it happened ever so slowly 
Well, I want to share with you a couple of things about how we begin to lose these battles and how God wants you to fight these battles. It's very important for you to get this. Uh, the, the devil has a desire, like I said, and that is to kill you. If he had the opportunity, he would do it immediately. But it, as a child of God, he doesn't have that opportunity. Because you have a blood covenant with God, the blood of Jesus Christ protects you. The devil cannot curse what God has blessed. Amen? Amen? He can't. He can try, but you can see that scripturally, that there's no witch, warlock, or anybody that can curse what God has blessed. You, you are the head and not the tail. God is greater. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all those things. And, and, and it is that blood covenant that we entered into with Jesus Christ. That's why the shed blood is what purchased our soul. That's why we belong to him. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. He can't necessarily come at you all at once. So what can he do is to get you to ever so slightly walk away from God, ever so slightly begin to drift away, ever so slightly let the love begin to wane, let the, let the longing begin to get shallower, let the desire to be at his feet begin to shorten, let, let the time that you spend consecrated before God in prayer and, and the, the desire to wake up in the morning with a new worship song on your, on your heart. You remember those days when you would wake up and you would just have a worship song just bubbling out? It would, the Holy Spirit would just begin to praise him through you and you would just wake up in love with Jesus. That, that's the worst thing the devil wants for any person. And, and, and so what he will do is just begin to, to, to bring in compromise any which way he can. And we're going to get into some of the specifics in just a minute. But I just wanted to share with you uh, this starting right here. I want you to, I want you to see this, that, that God saved them out from their adversaries. And, and I want you to know as a child of God, there is no adversary that God won't save you from. There is no adversary, there's no demon, there's no spiritual entity, there's no issue that God cannot call you out from and deliver you from. There is no, no battle that you'll face that God's not the deliverer. You, you might come at it ten different ways, but it's the same battle. And God is the deliverer. Amen? And I'm thankful for that. Now, one of the things that we're going to transition over into is, um, if you will, go, to, go with me to Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter number 24. Sometimes whenever we begin to fight our battles, we begin to fall and not even realize it. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but have you ever heard that phrase, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands? You ever done that? You know what? I'm just going I'm just going to take this matter in my own hands. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to do something about this. You know that's really that's really antithetical to the Christian walk. I'm just going to take matters in my own hands means I'm tired of waiting on God and I think I figured out a better way and I, I can just get through this time right here and then I'll circle back to God when I get time. Taking matters into our own hands is a trap that the devil has for you. But you know this? The, 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 the trap doesn't set immediately. If, if, you've ever, if you've ever trapped anything, you, you wait until they get fully in. You wait until they get fully in. It's like whenever you go fishing. Some of y'all may not know this, right? 
But whenever you go fishing, you wait to set the hook till you know they got it. You don't, you don't pull on that fishing pole at the first little tremble. You wait, and, you wait until they take it before you set the hook. And the devil does the same thing to you. He'll give you a little slack while, while, while you're playing around. While you're playing around between the flesh and the spirit, while, while you, you know this is right, but you sometimes take matters in your own hands, what you're doing is you're beginning to play with that hook a little bit. Beginning to play with that hook a little bit. And then once he knows that you've got that hook, once he knows that your, your flesh has, has gotten stronger, once he knows that, he'll set the hook. He'll set the hook. That's what happened to Israel. That's what happened to Israel. They, they played around, played around, played around, and then they finally desired so deeply not to have God to be their king anymore, but to have a man be their king over them. They wanted to be like everybody else. He set the hook. Well, what, what, what happened? What, what's so bad about having a natural king? Well, the whole nation was destroyed. It took a few generations, but once it got to Solomon, the whole nation was destroyed. You talk about crash and burn, that happened to Israel. They had a, they had a divorce of the ages. The, the, the ten northern tribes scattered to the wind. I mean, they divorced. And this is Israel, this is Jacob, this is the, the children of Jacob, this is God's heritage, the, the twelve tribes. And yet they split up forever. The ten gone. Why? Because they didn't follow God. Because they followed man. And you see, you, you wouldn't say, well, you, you know, naturally, you wouldn't say, well, I'm not going to follow a man. You know, this isn't, you know, Jonestown. I'm not going to go drink Kool-Aid after somebody and all this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, but if the devil can get you to follow your, yourself, it's just as dangerous. If he can get you to compromise it's the same result. Well, you know, I don't need to pray as much as they do. I don't need to go to church as much as they do. I don't need to be as involved in the things of God as they do. I don't need to be as invested in the spirit. I've got it right here. I'm, I'm, I'm close enough to the edge. I, you know, I, I've still got to keep my resemblance with the world to make sure that I don't look, you know, like a sore thumb out of place. I don't want to look like a fuddy-duddy. I don't want to look like a holy ruler. I still want to fit in with my friends. I still want to fit in with the people I used to know. I don't want to rock the boat too much, but I also know I need to get a little bit closer to God, so I'm just comfortable right here, a little bit in the middle. Live for myself, live for God. Live for myself, live for God. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. This is one of the things, this is, that's the area. It's just, you're playing with that hook. You're just, you're just dancing all around that hook in the water that Satan has. And one of the things that he does is he lets you. He won't set the hook immediately. He'll let you play with it long enough till he gets you weak enough. Because he cannot curse what God has blessed. So he'll let you walk away from God so long till he can devour you. Now, you do know that the Bible says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible wouldn't say that if it wasn't possible for the, for the devil to devour people. So it says here in Proverbs 24, verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. What, what does this have to do with that verse, Pastor? Well, you see, 
no matter what the situation is, there's adversity. Your adversity is different from someone else's adversity, but there's adversity for each and every one of us. God makes it so. Nobody gets to go out of here easy cheesy. Everybody's got to go through the fire. Everybody's got to go through the flood. Everybody's got to go through the issues. Everybody's got to come up to mountains. Everybody's got to get to that place where they can't see the bottom and they've got to take a step of faith without seeing where it, where they're going to hit. Everybody's got to go through those situations. Some like this and some like that, but everybody's got to go through adversity. Here's the separation. Some people fight their battles in their own strength and they find out that their strength is small. And some people fight their battles in the name of the Lord and they find out that their Lord is mighty in battle. That their Lord will go out before them. That the Lord God Almighty will take up their cause. That the Lord God Almighty will send the angels to encamp around them and fight their battles for them. But God's not going to tell you to stop picking up the shuffle. God's not going to fight with you. He, If you'll surrender, he'll fight the battle for you. But if you try to keep fighting your own battle, he'll step back and let you lose. He'll let you fall on your face. He'll let you get yourself in a bind to the point where you cry out for mercy for God. This is one of the things that happens in our lives sometimes. So many times we, we go out and we, we forsake God and we forsake consecration and we forsake holiness and we forsake the name of the Lord and we begin to fight our battles in our own strength and we end up getting ourselves in a situation. Now, then that's exactly what happened to Israel. Did God still help them out from time to time? Yes. But did it grieve his heart? Yes. He didn't want them to walk away from him. He wanted to be their king, and he wants to be your king. He doesn't want your heart to stray away from him. He wants to be the king of your heart. He wants to be your love. He wants to be the lover of your soul. He wants to be the one that guides you through the dark times. He wants to be the one that sustains you. He wants to be your comforter when everybody else walks away, when no one else understands you, when everybody else don't like you. God loves you. God sought you. He bought you and he's here to tell you that his desire is for you and yet so we see here that there's times that how many of you know times where you've tried to fight your own battles and you realize real quick you don't have what it takes to win this battle this this happens to all of us from time to time we you know you you can look in situations where a, a wife may nag the husband you know, what are you doing? Well, you're really trying to fight your battle in your own strength, but you just don't want to just outright say it. So you just... And, and, and it happens over on men too. Men do the same thing. We, we, you know, we try to take matters in our own hands. We'll slam doors or we'll yell or we'll huff and puff or stomp our feet or fold our arms or this, that, or the other. And, I'm, and that's just in marriage. But you realize that we do this in, in, in life. We do this in work. We do this in our trust for God. We don't realize when God said he's our provider, he said he's our provider. When God said he's our healer, he said he's our healer. He's our deliverer. We don't have to worry about those things that God has spoken of. If he said he'll deliver you, he will if you'll surrender. If he said he's your healer, he'll heal you if you'll surrender. If he said that he would be your deliverer, he will. He will. He will fight the battle for you. But you've got to get to that place where you don't fight the battle yourself. 
And, it, and I love this proverb. It says, you know, you faint in the day of adversity. It shows that your strength is small. How many of you know that God's strength isn't small? God doesn't have small strength, right? God doesn't have small strength. He has a lot of strength, right? And, and so this shows you that this person, they fainted in the day of adversity because they were fighting their own battles. Oh, I got this one. Well, see what happens. This is the, this is the part I wanted to get into. And we're going to move on because I got to hit somewhere else. But I want you to catch this. You got to catch this. The the devil will let you win small victories in your own strength. He will. He because it's it's not about the small game. He plays long ball. It's not about little battles. It's about the war. And you see, he'll let you, you, if you begin to fight your own battles in your own strength, he'll just step back and he'll let you win a couple of those easy ones. He'll let you win a couple of those easy ones. But why? Why will he do that? Because you're walking away from God. He'll let you, it's, it's like whenever you're, you're catching a, a, an animal or something, you put one little treat out, then you put another treat out, then you put another one and another one and another, and then before you know it, that animal is where it don't belong. That animal is where it don't belong. Well, you know, it's the same thing in our lives. The devil, he'll throw a little cracker for you here. He'll, he'll let you get up there, get to that point where you think you got it. And then he'll give you another little morsel of something. And he'll let you, oh, yes, we got it now. I knew I didn't need to do God's way. I knew I didn't need, need to, you know, invest my life in the kingdom of God and pour out my heart before him night and day, every day, and give him my heart and soul, the love that he desires, the worship that he's due. I knew I didn't need to do that. Now, I mean, that's what holy rollers do. But I, look, look, we, we, we got this. We got this. And he'll throw you another little treat and another one. And before you know it, you don't need God anymore. And then once you get that last treat, he's got you so far away from God. He's got you so far away from the things of God, so far away from the people of God, so far away from the heart of God, you can't tell you're left from your right anymore. How many of you been in that situation? I have. I've been in that place where I'm so lost that you, you, you just wake up one day and you're like, how in the world did I get here? Because we followed those little treats that the devil set out. Those little battles of, of fighting in our own strength. He, we just followed them one after the another after the another. Yes, he'll let you win the little ones to get the big one. He'll let you win the little battles in your own strength because little do you know, as you're winning those battles in your own strength, you're actually losing the war. It's the plan of the enemy is to get you to where he can devour you yeah he'll 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 get you he'll let you you know get get a a a house get a car get get married get this get that get a job get this as long as you begin to lay down your weapons of war as long as your love for god begins to wane now you may not name it you may not say it with your mouth but you live it and that's what he's looking for not that we give lip service, but what our, what our lives speak. What our lives speak. Now, I want to bring you to an important passage. This, this is where things will begin to turn in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Things will begin to turn right here. 
There's a key to battles. There's a key to battle. See, this is, this is an important truth that you got to get. Our testimonies, the testimony of our life, is supposed to glorify God. And one of the litmus tests for where you are is what is your testimony? See, the awesome thing about God is he's all the time making all things new. I mean, every, I love church. Every time you go to the altar, God does a new thing in you. Every time you go down to your knees in prayer, God begins to do a new thing in you. God begins to take old things away. He begins to take the rust off. He begins to clear out the cobwebs. And He just pours out that oil of the Holy Spirit upon you. And He consecrates you afresh. Every time you pour out the alabaster box, every time you lay your heart down before His feet, He begins to do a new thing in you your life. He'll give you a new testimony every day, every hour. He'll give you a new song. He'll put a new song in your heart. He'll put a new song down in there. He'll give you a shout of praise. You may not have anything in the natural to praise about, but if you'll come to God and surrender your life, He'll give you a testimony in that hour. That's why Paul, when Paul and Silas were in, in, in prison in the midnight hour, they were worshiping God in prison. In the natural, there was nothing at all to worship God about. And yet, in their soul, they had surrendered their life to God and he put a song down in their soul and even though it was a midnight hour in prison, in chains, in darkness, after they had been whooped and beaten by the enemy, they began to sing hallelujah to the Lamb of God. They began to worship the one that bought them and sought them. They began to glorify the King of Kings. In the natural, it didn't make sense, but they were, they were warring a good warfare in that hour. They were fighting their battles. They were beginning to win. They were beginning to turn the tide because the, the, the things around them didn't hold them down, but God had liberated them and set them free. They had seen, they had seen something in the spirit. They weren't looking in the natural. And you see, the testimony that God gives you is to glorify Him. You see, their testimony, if you would have asked them in the chains in that midnight hour, their testimony wouldn't have said anything about the natural. They wouldn't have said, well, I, I, you know, I'm waiting on someone to bail me out. I, I, you know, I, I put in a call to my cousin and he was supposed to come get me and somebody was supposed to stand for me at trial, but they turned their back on me. They let me down. You see, that's... That, that kind of testimony is not what God's looking for in you. See, God's called you to be a living witness. God's called you to be a holy witness unto Him. You're here today not so that you can get more wealth and not so that you can, you know, write famous books and become a famous person. God didn't leave you on earth for you. God left you on earth for others that His light will shine through you into the lives of other people. God wants to use you to further the kingdom of God starting in you, starting in your family, starting all the way through you into your neighborhood and community. That's why you're here. You're not here for you. You're here for Him. 
And, and, and see, when, if you would have asked Paul in that midnight hour, what's your testimony right now? He would have went straight to the Spirit. He would have said, you know what? I don't like where I'm at, but God is good. God's got me where I'm at. Amen. God is with me where I'm at. And I mean, they begin to worship in the time. Well, that's the testimony. A test of, the litmus for your testimony, the test of your testimony is who do you focus on? Who do you focus on? And, and you should have a testimony every day. You should have a testimony every day. Your testimony, you know, you might say, well, nothing eventful happened today, Pastor. Well, God was with you. I mean, if, 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 you, if, you, fell down at your, at, at, if you fell down on your face and began to worship him, he'll put a new song in you. You'll have a testimony that day. You'll say, hey, this day was kind of boring, but I began to get lost in the spirit. I got caught up to the third heaven, and hallelujah, he did something. And the, the praise began to rise up. You know, Jesus told that, that woman, he said that if, if, if she came to him, he'd give her that, that water from that fountain that never runs dry, that everlasting water would begin to spring forth. You know what? That water does not grow stale. You don't have to drink yesterday's water. It's a fountain that is ever springing up to new life. It's a fountain that's always bringing fresh streams into the life of the believer. As you pray in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost begins to move through you, He'll stir up that water. There's nothing, look, nothing is so bad as stale water. Amen? You get a cup of water, you leave it out for a few months, you probably don't want to drink it. You don't know what's growing in there. You don't know what's in there. It's stale. It's dead. There's nothing. And that's the testimony of so many people. Because they're not drinking of the life water. They're not drinking from that fountain that flows from Emmanuel's throne. They're not coming to God every day and getting refreshed by the power of God. They've lost it. They've lost it and it's grown stale. And so we see here, it's, it's a powerful principle in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but it's all about your testimony. Now, God goes through a lot of things here. There's a lot of tests that Israel went through. As, as God brought them out of Egypt, and, he, and, and before he brought them into the promised land, there were a series of tests. And, and you're always going to be under a test until you go home. Just get that. God's always going to be purifying you. God's always going to be challenging you. God's always going to be working something in you. You don't graduate from the school of Christ. This is a school that we're in until we're gathered around the throne, seated at his feet, seeing the hands that were pierced and seeing the hole in his side and worshiping where faith is made sight. Until faith is made sight, we're under the test. We're in school. And so Israel was in school and they failed time after time after time after time. Through idolatry and lust, they began to want the things of Egypt. They wanted the good food. They wanted the good things. And, and it's like that in our world. We, we want, you know what? I can't find a good man. I'm just going to compromise and get one. I can't find a good job. I'm just going to compromise and get one. I can't find a, a, a this or a that. I'm just going to... Well, what do you mean by compromise, Pastor? I'm talking about something that's not of God. It takes you away from God, takes you away from the people of God, takes you away from the house of God, takes you away from your prayer closet, takes you away from the Bible, the time you spend in the Word, the joy of your soul. These are all signs and indications that God, that God is not in what you're into. 
And there was times in Israel's life God wasn't into what they were into. For instance, the golden calf. You remember that one, right? There was a lot of different things that they were into, but God wasn't into it. And they failed test after test. Well, it says in verse number 11, it says, Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. Whose example do you think these things happened to them for? Do you think God put all this stuff in the Bible just so that we could learn about it, you know, and theorize it and memorize it and do, do book reports about it and stand up and regurgitate it? No. He gave us these examples so that we'll know how to conduct our lives. He gave us these examples so that we'll know how, how to live for him. It says, all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Isn't that the first sign that you fight your own battles? I mean, honestly, that's the first sign. If you think you're standing, take heed before you fall. Pride. I got this. I don't need that. I got this. This is easy. Yeah, that, it's easy because the devil's got that little cracker in front of you. You don't have to fight for it anymore. You don't have to hunt for it anymore. He's just going to lay it out there for you. That's why it's easy. You know, there's a saying, it's, 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 it's not good whenever things come that easy because it could be a trap. Well, the devil does that. And, and, and here, you know, a lot of times pride will begin to work in and we don't even realize it. But if you think you're standing, you got to take heed lest you fall. What, what is that talking about, Pastor? It's talking about humility. Humility is one of the keys of the kingdom. You're never going to grow further in God. You're never going to be what God's called you to be until you grow in humility. Humility is the, is, is the ability to say, you know what, Lord? Here I am. Here I am. Uh, you know, one of the things that humility works in us is, a, is a, a change to where you see your need for God. That's what humility really does. Pride, pride on the other hand, is like, I got this. I, you know, I'm good. I can win this battle. I can win that battle. But when the big one comes, I'll give you a ring on the phone. God don't work like 911. God don't work like that. You see, it is, it is in that moment that we begin to think we've got this and we've got that and I'll call you when I need you that we begin to lose that consecration that God so desires in you and from you. Why, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about battles? Because you're in a battle. Because the, de- the, devil, de- the devil wants to devour you and you're in a battle for your soul. Well, I, I'm not. I'm good. I got this. I got that. Come on, reread that verse. If you think you're standing, take heed before you fall. That's for pastors, evangelists, lay ministers, Sunday school teachers, from the, from the people that got, you know, saved yesterday to the people that got saved yesteryear. It's all of us. Take heed. Take heed. Now, look at this next verse. He says here that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation 
also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This, this passage tells us a lot of things, and we don't have time to, to divulge into all of them, but I will tell you this. Number one, that there is a temptation that all of us go through. It, it may not have the same characters or the same colors, but it has the same spirit. It's no temptation as such, except that it's common to all of us. In other words, uh, you know, in Israel, they didn't really lust for iPhones and, and, and four-bedroom uh, homes. And, you know, they didn't really lust for those kinds of things. They just lusted for food that wasn't uh, manna from heaven. Or they, they lusted for the ability to have this, the same kind of food that they had in Egypt. They lusted for different things, but it's still lust. And in our lives, we still lust after things. And God's desire is that we turn away from things and surrender afresh to Him every day. And here we see this principle. It says that that these these temptations are common to all of us. So your battle may be different than mine, but it, it comes from the same family tree, if you will. You, you may think that, and the devil wants you to think that, what you're involved in and the battle that you're involved in is way different and nobody understands, but nothing could be further from the truth because everybody fights the same battles, they just have different scenery, if you will. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because God has a way of escape. What is it? this word here, escape? It, the the uh, root word of it, it means to egress or to exit. The, the, the thing about it is this. No matter what your battle is, there's a way to get out of it righteously. This word here, when it says way of escape, is not like, um, you know, getting the parachute on and jumping out the plane instead of doing what you got to do. This, what he's talking about on this way of escape, it means the way to get out of the temptation without losing your soul, without losing your love for God. God, in every single battle that you face, God has a righteous path for you to walk on. God has a way to navigate through that thing. I don't know what yours is and you don't know what mine is, but I know this, that in every single temptation, every single battle that we face, God has a highway of holiness for us to walk on and honor Him in it and He will be there with us and He will fight for us and He will get us through to the other side. Just like Jesus said, He told the disciples, come on, we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But the boat began to rock, the wind began to push on the boat, the waves begin to crash up and they begin to panic and think they were going to die that day. Oh, don't you know we're about to die, Jesus? And he said, where is your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. Didn't he say we're going to the other side? And you see, he says here, in every temptation, God has prepared before you a righteous way to navigate through that thing. I don't know what your battle is, but there's a highway out of that thing. God done made a way where there was no way. You see, Israel, when they got delivered out of Egypt, they came up, there was mountains over here and a sea before them. They couldn't see the way out, but God had done made a highway. God knew where the highway was. They didn't know where the highway was. But what made the difference? 
Moses. Moses went up before God and Moses said, God, we need a highway out of this place. We need to get out of here. And God had already had a highway made. God done had that path set before them. He just was waiting on someone to cry out and ask God for wisdom, ask God for direction, to surrender their heart to God again and say, Lord, you bought us. You got us out of there. We need a way out of here. We need a highway, a a righteous road out of this situation. And I don't know what your situation is, but I will tell you this. There is a righteous road out of it. There is a way to navigate through that thing that will honor God, glorify God, and He will pour His Spirit out on you. He will. It says here, it says here that this way of escape, that, that you may be able to bear it. Here's something I want you to see. F.B. Meyer said this. F.B. Meyer said this about this passage. He said, The pressure of temptation always has a corresponding storehouse of grace. Every pressure of temptation, God always has a storehouse of grace there. But we have to be, we have to have our eyes open to perceive it. God always has a storehouse of grace in your situation. There, this is awesome. There's no situation you're going to go into, God doesn't have a little pocket storehouse of grace in it. All you have to do is ask God for the ability to see it. Ask God, Lord, where's your grace in this hour? Where's your grace in my situation? Lord, you know my battle. You know what I've come through. You know what? You, you know how empty I feel right now. Or you know how lost I feel right now. You know I don't know which way to go. I need you, Lord. Where's your storehouse of grace? And as you begin to ask God, and he'll begin to open your eyes, you'll begin to perceive God was with you. He never left you. He never forsook you. He was there by your side. He is the comforter like he said he was. He said he would come and he would guide you and he would help you through the trials of life. God, listen, God always has a storehouse of grace for you. Do you see it in your situation? Do you see it in your situation? A lot of times we don't see it because we're focused on the natural. We're focused on the natural. If, if, if you're so focused on the natural, you won't see God in it. You won't see God in it. You see, if, 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 you, look at the, if you look at any typical person, if you just focus on what they naturally look like or naturally sound like, you're going to miss God. You have to look past the things of the natural and look to the things of the Spirit. Let me show you one last passage in Ephesians chapter number 6. I tell you what, let's let's go to a different one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see, it is it is in those moments we have to choose. We we have to choose whether we're going to ask the Lord to see where his grace is in that situation. Or whether we're going to try to navigate that thing by ourselves, And that really determines how you're going to make it through. Our generation's battles are great. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back. I believe it's soon and very soon. But if the Lord tarries, we've got a mighty battle on our hands. But, but God, but God. 
In every battle, in every situation, there's always grace. There's always a storehouse of grace. Moses came and he brought the law. Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. John chapter 1. But we see this reality. No matter how big the battle is, our God is bigger. No matter how big the mountain is, our God is still a mountain mover. And listen, don't discount God moving mountains in your life. You see, when you get in church, and especially when I get excited, we start talking about big mountains and big moving. You know, I, I remember one time I was preaching, and I said, you know, God's phone number is still 1-800-MOUNTAIN-MOVER. I mean, I just, it is. It's still 1-800-MOUNTAIN-MOVER. But, you know, there's a, there's a subtle way that the devil can counteract that because he'll begin to make you think that your mountains are too little for God to deal with. Come on. There's times that we say, oh, yeah, I know that God can do this, and I know that God can do that. But, you know, it's just me. It's just me, and it's just my issue. That's a mountain. And the devil wants you to think that it's little and insignificant. But I want to tell you something. You're not insignificant to God. You matter to God. You matter to God greatly. He cherishes you. He loves you. And no matter how small the devil wants you to think the battle is, it is big to God. It matters to God when something comes against you. And in every situation, every battle, every temptation, God will always make a way of escape for you. He will make a highway in the desert. He will cause things to come or he'll shut doors. He'll open things that need to get open. But he will always make a way of escape for you no matter how big or small you think it is. Your job, my job, is to take our eyes off the natural and to look to the supernatural. I told you whenever Egypt came out of, whenever Israel came out of Egypt, whenever Israel came out of Egypt, they came up and they, they were surrounded by mountains and they had the ocean in front of them. And they all knew they were going to die except for Moses. Moses went and he cried out to God. He began to pray and seek God's face, and God opened up the highway. Nobody else could see it except for a praying man. Nobody else could see it except for someone that was connected to God. Everybody else was wailing and flailing and and, and, and just doing everything in the natural because they were so locked in on how things looked in the natural. But Moses knew to look to the spiritual. And if you get locked in on the natural, you'll begin to think there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. You just have to stay where you're at. You'll never get more God. You'll never get filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll never have victory. You'll never walk in the peace of God. You'll always have constant this and you'll always have constant that. But I want to tell you, God will set you free. There is no chain of addiction. There's no bondage. There's no demonic power that God will not break off of you in the name of Jesus Christ. The devil is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. But God is the truth. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life and if you'll come to him he'll set you free he said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free and that's the promise of every child of God that's the promise and so our job is to look not on the things of the world but on the things of heaven do you see heaven in your situation that's the challenge
Look at this. I want to close here in verse in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 16. This verse is one of my favorite verses. Catch this. Catch this verse. Paul says here, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. See, the outward man will perish. The outward man will faint. You see, this is powerful because it is this reality that you have to see. If you look at things in the natural, fainting will commence. And when we're talking about the things of the Spirit, it is not good. When the Bible says here, you remember back in Proverbs, it said that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's because you were fighting your battle in your own strength. You weren't looking to God. That's why you fainted. And Paul's saying, look, guys, we're the church. We're the church. We don't faint. You know why? Because we're not looking at the outward man. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. That's why the church doesn't faint. It's not because we don't go through the the same trials and temptations that everybody else does. It's because we're looking to heaven. We're renewed on the inward man day by day. The renewing that comes from the time that you seek God will cause you to withstand the day of adversity. I want you to know that that day of adversity is for all of us. The day of adversity is for each and every one of us. Nobody gets an exemption card. Nobody gets one of those little cards, you know, where you don't have to fight battles. Oh, don't you know who I am? I'm so-and-so's son. I'm married to so-and-so. I don't have to fight that battle. Uh, No, I went to the altar last year. See, here's my card. Nobody gets exemption cards. The devil is slick. He's, He's a liar, a deceiver. And he's always laying out those crackers so that you'll stray away from God. So that he can get you over into your own strength. Where you're looking at the things of the natural and you're beginning to fight in your own strength. And then he'll take you out. But God's desire for you is though your outward man may perish. Though your outward man may get tired. Though your outward man may get hungry when you fast, tired when you pray. Though your outward man may be tired of coming to church and listening to pastor go over and over and over and sing that song for the fifth time and the sixth time. Though the outward man may get tired and weary, the inward man is renewed. And when the inward man is renewed, you'll begin to win. You'll begin to stand in the victory that God has for you. You'll begin to fight the battle the way that God has called you to fight the battle. And God will show himself victorious in your life. Amen? I want you to know today that you do matter to God. God does care about you. You're not insignificant. When you think your battle's little, that's the lie of the devil. I don't know what the hardship is, but it, it, is, it is significant to God. Very significant to God. He cares for you. 